Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Robert Evans, and this is the introduction of Behind the Bastards, my podcast where we talk about terrible people and all the things you don't know about them. Uh, With me today, my guest for this episode is Tamar Katan, uh, host of... They tried to bury us. Uh, a podcast about immigrants coming into the United States. That's exactly. Sort of yeah, uh, yeah. Every week is a different American origin story, so we have a different Im- immigrant every week. Awesome. It's been great. Well, today we're not talking about an immigrant, but we are talking about someone who has done a lot of damage to yeah. immigrants. <laughs> yeah. uh, not directly, but just through the people he supported. Sure. Yeah, we're talking about Roger Stone. What do you know about Roger Stone, Tamer? Uh, I, I know a little bit about him. I know that he is, uh, he lives in the upside down, is I think a, a phrase I said to you outside. Yeah. I think he is a white Malcolm X to me. A what? Po- a political version of a by any means necessary. You know what I mean? Like before Malcolm went to Mecca and, and got balance in his life. Without principle. Without like, principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By any means necessary. I don't care who I hurt. I don't care how often I have to lie. I think that lying is good. I think if you believe in doing things that are virtuous, that you're a chump. It's a cancer in our political system. Yeah. And he is a human cancer. Um, Absolutely. Now, listeners will note that we did a two-part episode on Paul Manafort months ago. Uh, I recommend checking that out too, because they're, they're two halves of the same coin. Absolutely. So we talked about one coin back in 2018. Today we're dropping the other side. So let's get into it. Mm. On August 27th, 1952, little baby Roger Stone was born to Gloria Rose and Roger J. Stone. His mother was a journalist who followed local politics. His father drilled wells. Uh, Roger grew up in Lewisboro, New York, and described his family as middle class and blue collar. So, so far, we're doing fine. He's mm-hmm. a normal middle American boy. 
Roger was eight years old when he got involved in his first political election. He campaigned for John F. Kennedy, and even at that tender age, he knew that honesty was not the way to achieve his political goals. That's right. He later recalled to the Washington Post, quote, I remember going through the cafeteria line and telling every kid that Nixon was in the favor of school on Saturdays. That's it was right. my first political trick. Which is cute. It's fun. It's so unnerving. It's like an origin story of a villain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where you, he learns that the, the power like, oh, of a lie. Works. Yeah, he, the disinformation. I think he was quoted about that story where uh-huh. he said, that's where I learned the power of disinformation. Yeah, that you can just, if you just, and it's, speaking as a tall white guy, uh, this is something I've battled with my whole life. I really like telling a good lie to people, <laughs> like like a like like a joking lie. Like I'll make up a fact about sure. history or something, and like and, and then you that. seed it to a friend, and you hear him tell it in like a party or something, and it's it's a really funny joke for just you. Yeah. Not a great thing to do, but if you're confident and you have the right sort of look in this society at least, because mm-hmm. it works particularly well in the United States. It's the same reason why, like, if you've got a mixed race group of people and someone has to go talk to the cops. You pick the guy who looks like me. Yeah, I go talk to the cops, and I it's 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 fine. I think Roger Stone had that realization and decided to make that his whole life, rather than be like, "What if I just made yeah. some jokes at parties?" Yeah, <laughs> it's it's such a bizarre thing. Like you, th- if this was a show about a nice, normal, responsible family, yeah, there would be a massive teaching moment that was missed. Yeah, where like Andy Griffith sat down young Roger Stone and was like. Well, I know you won that classroom election, but you know here's why it's bad to lie to everyone you know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like winning a beauty pageant by going topless. Like, it's against the rules. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. Oh, Roger. Okay, so uh, it is entirely possible that that anecdote is a lie. Uh, I do want to note that because we're talking about Roger Stone, and every time we talk about it, literally 100% of the things in this, there's multiple versions of it. Sure. So I have tried to cull the versions of reality that coincide the most with what I can back up with like objective facts and what yeah. multiple people have said. But like, if you do your own research on Roger Stone, you'll run into different variations of everything here. Because yeah. uh, I think he's just been lying consistently for about 70 years. 100% agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a negative version of one of my favorite Maya Angelou quotes where she says, people may not remember what you do or say, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. yeah. And he, he'll he make people the right people feel the right way, regardless of the, if, if the information is true or false or damaging or hurtful or even leads to violence. Yeah. He just doesn't care. He just does not care. Yeah. So Roger did start out supporting JFK, which basically everyone did. Uh, sure. It's an interesting note. 1961, we do surveys like uh, Pew and whatnot do surveys on like people's level of trust in government. 1961 is the peak in American history of people trusting the federal government. Mm. So it's not weird that like everybody's on board with JFK in this election. Yeah. Uh, now, Roger Stone claims that his personal political ideology took a rightward turn for the first time at age 11 when he read Barry Goldwater's The Conscience of a Conservative. Mm. Barry Goldwater, for those of you who don't know, was the kind of the Trump before Trump. I think he was a better at appealing to like intellectual conservatives than Donald Trump was. Um, but he, uh, you know, the, the reason that like you're not supposed to as a psychiatrist uh, psychoanalyze a presidential candidate, it's called the Goldwater rule because mm-hmm. like so many people thought he was crazy when he yeah. was running. So this guy's book is what like lights a spark in Roger Stone's brain at age 11. The next year, he started volunteering for the Goldwater campaign at age 12. So he's like 
a very young volunteer for this hard right presidential candidate. And while he's doing all that, he comes across a book called A Texan Looks at Lyndon. Now, this book was self-published by a self-described ultra-conservative named J. Evett Haley. Uh, Haley argues that LBJ was a lifelong criminal and a murderer. Roger Stone would go on to write his own book about LBJ's role in the Kennedy assassination, accusing the former president of at least eight murders. This is Whoa. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a nutso book. Yeah. Uh, not that I don't think LBJ had some people murdered, because he was LBJ. He definitely did. But this is, we, we, you see the start of like two things that are going to be through lines in Roger Stone's life here. One of them is, of course, hard right conservatism, and one of them is he really likes conspiracy theories, which is probably how he's going to wind up in the InfoWars orbit a little yeah. bit later in this story. So young Roger spent a lot of his childhood alone in reading. This period of time seems to have crystallized the ideology that would carry him through to the rest of his life. Quote from Roger. Well, you have to understand there were no kids my age, male or female, for 25 miles. I suppose I could have thrown a football with my dad, but my old man left at 5 a.m. and came back at 9 p.m., but he ate his supper and fell to bed, and he was covered with grease from head to foot, and he never complained a day in his life. You have to amuse yourself. This is the way Roger tells the story. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of how he presents his childhood. So Americana. Yeah, yeah. So innocent. My dad never talked to me because he was working all the time, and this is good. <laughs> like, he never complained that he didn't have time to raise a child. How can you tell that story and not be like, oh, maybe that's not a healthy culture. Maybe yeah. that's not ideal. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, Stone amused himself by engaging in politics as often as possible. He volunteered for the Goldwater campaign at age 12, as I said, but he also stayed active in his school's political process. Here's the New York Times. As a junior, then vice president of his northern Westchester High School, he manipulated the ouster of the president and his own succession. Running for re-election as a senior, I left nothing to chance, he said. I built alliances and put all my serious challengers on my ticket. Then I recruited the most unpopular guy in the school to run against me. You think that's mean? No, that's smart. So, yeah. When he was 13, Roger Stone started taking the train into New York City on weekends to volunteer for the mayoral campaign of William F. Buckley, Jr., That campaign did not work out, but the experience of traveling from small-town America into its largest city to work in politics had an impact on young Roger as well. Quote, The key thing I remember about Lewisboro, his small hometown, is that it was just across the border from New Canaan, so early on I saw myself as living in a kind of bridge between two cultures, the white working class and the white upper class. Hmm. Very specific about white there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Stone believed both groups fundamentally hated the government, so they were natural bedfellows. Should all be able to get on board to this, whether or not we're poor or rich white people. Yeah. But white people is pretty clearly who sure. he's angling towards. Now, in 1970, Stone's senior year of high school, he attended the Connecticut State Young Republican Convention. The Young Republicans were more conservative than the mainstream of the party at that time. They are kind of trying to push the party further to the right. Roger hadn't been able to afford to book a hotel room for his trip, so he'd showed up just sort of assuming he could meet someone and convince them to take care of it. Stone's best friend at the time, a guy named Dolan, introduced him to another teenage young Republican named Paul Manafort. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. yeah. Villain origin story. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. These, these young guys meeting, they're both wearing ill-fitting suits, nobody's got a so lot of money yet. I knew he was involved in politics really young, but my God, seven? From the, from the age of seven on. So you know his family had to be involved in this, like to kind of like directionally at least push him in a direction at seven years old. He doesn't talk about that, not that mm-hmm. I found. So you, you, I think you got one of two possibilities. Either his mom and dad were both way more political than he lets on, yeah. and he was pushed in that direction, or 
he didn't have much supervision at all. Yeah. And, he and just, way more white collar, by the way. Yeah, and way more white collar. That changes his case. story. It makes him a little bit less likable. Yeah, especially if there's more money in the picture exactly. than he wants to talk about. How many guys that work at oil rigs while he's on a farm miles and well, miles wells. away? Wells. Yeah. Miles and miles away from neighbors yeah. where his family's going, you should get into politics. <laughs> yeah. There, there's holes in the yeah. Stone story. He's, he's, and he's I, making mythology. He's definitely making a mythology. And again, this is the picture he wants to... Maybe he didn't fucking do anything in yeah. school. Maybe he was never involved in young. Like yeah. I, I don't know. We're yeah. we're trusting Roger here. Sure, sure. <laughs> like, and it's well, I've seen pictures of him as a young Republican. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, we, that stuff is real. This stuff is definitely real. Once we get to where he's in high school and he's with like man, like, that stuff. There's sure. a lot of people. But sure. like when we're, he's talking about being 11, 12 years old and stuff, yeah. like who knows? Yeah, yeah. This might just be the image he wants to. Sure. You know. Anyway, uh, here's how the Washington Post wrote about the first meeting of Roger Stone. Paul Manafort. I'm just going to say it, the greatest friendship of all time. <laughs> hey, kid, how you doing? Stone recalled Manafort saying before getting down to sussing him out. Why are you supporting Weaker? Manafort was referring to Lowell Weaker, a moderate Republican candidate for U.S. Senator. Manafort clearly was testing the kid. You think I give a fuck about Weaker? I'm here to elect Meskel, Stone shot back, meaning Thomas Meskel, a conservative gubernatorial candidate admired by youthful Republicans. So... That's like how they get started is like Manafort's like, you, you like this fucking rhino Republican and name only, only and Stone's like, no, I only like the crazy people. Like, that's where I want to go is like the furthest right we can possibly be. So bizarre. Yeah. So Roger Stone and Paul Manafort were instant buddies and would be not quite inseparable, but frequent collaborators over the next like 30 some odd years. How old were they at this point? They would have been like 17, 18. Oh my, they're just, so just crazy. babies. Yeah. They're babies, but yet their personalities held firm. I have two strong opinions here. One of them is that you shouldn't be able to join the military unless you're 30. And the other is that you shouldn't be allowed to participate in any kind of politics until you're 30. I like it (laughs) a lot. (laughs) You start doing drugs when you're 21. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Let's give them nine years of experimenting. How do you cook without ingredients? (laughs) You know what I mean? To make people make these huge moral decisions before they've lived life. You're absolutely right. 30. You look at the stuff Ben Shapiro is writing when he's 17. He's like advocating war crimes in Afghanistan. It's like, don't let a 17-year-old write about politics. (laughs) Do you know how fucked up that is? So crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's how we get Paul Manafort and Roger Stone. So in addition to the young Republicans, Stone joined the teenage Republicans, the college Republicans, and young Americans for freedom. I might have noticed a theme there. Uh, he became tightly wound up in Republican Party politics, uh, enough so that in 1972, the year of President Richard Nixon's re-election campaign, 19-year-old Roger Stone was selected to be one of Nixon's henchmen. Now, Stone was the youngest member of the Committee to Re-elect the President, literally known by the acronym CREEP, which... <sighs> does nobody, like, check on this stuff? Nixon just is, like, cited, yeah, CREEP, that's good. That's what yeah. we'll call it. Go commit crimes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Stone recommended that Creep hire a guy named Theodore Brill, who was a college classmate and friend of his. He recommended that Creep pay Brill $150 to spy on radical groups. Stone claims that his work for Creep was all kid stuff, none of which was illegal at the time, and all of which would have been done with or without him. Unfortunately for Roger Stone, but fortunately for the concept of truth, the FBI was keeping tabs on him back then, too. There exists on this hellish internet of ours a website called Property of the People. They host government documents retrieved by FOIA requests and the like. They have a super fun article titled, FBI Documents on Roger Stone Reveal Sabotage, Espionage, and the Life of a Serial Bagman. Oh my God, I'm going into an internet death spiral right after this episode. (laughs) It's it's a great website. Yeah, Wow. Check them out, please do. 
Now, my favorite thing about that title is that Roger worked for Nixon as a literal bagman, at yeah. one point taking a sack containing a jar of money to donate on behalf of uh, Republican presidential candidate Paul McCloskey yeah. to the Young Socialist Association. It was Association. all in nickels and dimes and quarters, you yeah, said, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a jar of change in a sack. Yeah. So he donates on behalf of this Republican presidential candidate, Paul McCloskey, to the Young Socialist Association. Stone claimed that he was the Young Socialist Association's treasurer. Now, this was all a lie, obviously, designed to make McCloskey look bad and torpedo his chances of primarying Nixon. The original FBI documents about this dirty trick are interesting because they give us some insight into the precise nature of young Roger Stone's moral compass. Quote, Stone met with Porter in his office at Creep, where Porter asked him if he would be willing to travel to Manchester to make a cash contribution to the McCloskey campaign headquarters. Porter wanted Stone to disguise himself as a member of the gay liberation movement when making this contribution. Stone flatly rejected this proposal. However, he concurred with the basic theme of this tactic. So... Basically, that's Roger Stone's line at age 19. Yeah. I, I, I'll pretend to be a young socialist, but not a member of the gay liberation It's unbelievable. Movement. I mean, you yeah. see the pattern, <laughs> yeah. right? You see the pattern. Like, from such a young age, he's like, I see the power of disinformation. Yeah. And then fast forward a decade later, and he's still... Doing the same he's shit. He's still doing the same thing. Doing the same shit. Did you ever see 7-Up, the British documentary? No. It's amazing. It was like one of the first reality shows... And they interviewed kids at seven years old, and then at 14, and then at 21, and then at 28, every seven years. Oh, wow. Now they're in their 60s. Oh, wow. And they've been doing it the whole time. But it was a study on social classes. Yeah. And the interesting thing they found is when wealthy kids were seven years old, and they asked them, what do you want to be? They were really specific. They're like, I'm going to Cambridge. I'm being a barrister, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And they did. Whereas the kids in the poor neighborhoods were like, I'm going to be a spaceman. Yeah. Or like, I'm going to be a truck. I don't know what I'm going to be. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not even a human. Like, it was so. He's one of those kids where they knew yeah. at such an early age, they were just. And he doesn't pick, I want to be in politics. He picks, I want to be a dirty tricks guy in yeah. politics. Like, I want to be like the filthiest version of a political guy. Uh, it's, it's remarkable that that's his only ambition in life. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Now, a researcher named Emma Best uh, found 10 separate document releases uh, from the FBI, all of which mentioned Roger Stone. According to Property of the People's write-up, quote, The documents detail Roger Stone's role as a bagman for the Nixon campaign, in which he funneled over $25,000, equivalent to $150,000 in 2018, to fund political intelligence gathering and other dirty tricks, including mole embedding and a mysterious payment related to the Watergate break-in. The documents include a copy of the FBI's interview with Stone, as well as other statements to the Bureau about Stone and Jason Rainier, the alias Stone used for his anti-democratic spy operations. So Stone paid another operative, the moderate equivalent of 60 grand to surveil and sabotage the campaigns of Nixon's Democratic rivals. After the Watergate break-ins, he put together a payment of almost 100 grand in modern dollars for an oil executive and Nixon fundraiser named Darius Keaton. Far from being minor acts of political malfeasance, as Stone sort of presented them, Roger Stone seems to have been an enthusiastic and prolific dirty trickster, happy to do almost anything for Richard Nixon. Quote, In one case, Stone sent 200 Democrats invitations to a non-existent primary campaign breakfast. In another, Stone directed Democratic campaign literature intended for the black community to be sent to union workers and literature intended for union workers to be sent to the black community. In yet another, Stone saw to it that phone lines used by a Democratic primary campaign were tampered with. This resulted in Democratic failure to connect with many potential voters while other – yeah. So this, this is the way he works. Yeah. This is the way he works at age 19. You know what's so interesting about him too is he never, as big as his ego got, for a guy whose dad never talked to him, right? He always looked to another man to please. Yeah. He never said, I'm going to be president. 
No. He never chased it himself. He was always, I'm going to please dad. Yeah. He And he's always picked a bigger man to yeah. idolize, which for most of his life has been Nixon. Yeah. Um, a bigger than life man. And even now he imitates Nixon with the peace signs that he yeah. always throws up with his weird ass wanky arms. It seems like he's a case study for like a broken brain, like a father-son fracture. I mean, you know, to get real here, this podcast behind the bastards could just as well be called Daddy Issues. Because really? Almost a hundred percent of these guys had yeah. real fucked up times with their fathers. Like, why don't they just strip <laughs> like, like everybody else? <laughs> you know, Roger Stone actually might have been able to do that. Uh, he's a bodybuilder, <laughs> um, self-proclaimed. Well, no, body. I mean, if you've seen, I've seen shirtless pictures of him when he's young. He, he was reasonably swole, oh, like, really? even even in his late forties. Yeah. Really fit looking guy. And if you see the modern pictures of his back tattoo. You can see in the build of yeah, his he shoulders, really he's got a yeah. really broad build. He yeah. could have he could have stripped, sure, which is a noble and honest career. I just mean I worked out with real bodybuilders at Gold's Gym. He, his symmetry's all off. He's <laughs> got like baby calves and weird. Well, back. and his face is weird. His face is weird. His hair is weird. Everything's weird. They all have weird hair. The crazies. It's like Paul Manafort, where you spend $100,000 on suits that look like $100 suits, yeah. just, to, just to know that it's, I don't know, they're all weird guys. And that's fine unless you're ruining the world, in which case it's not Exactly. Fine. Yeah. Now, all the unfathomable shadiness of Richard Nixon's re-election campaign led to congressional hearings in 1973. During those hearings, Roger Stone's secret identity as Jason Rainier, young socialist, became public knowledge. It was also revealed that Stone had hired someone to spy on the McGovern campaign. At the time of the hearing, Stone had gotten a job on Bob Dole's staff. He was fired for this, and seems to have taken the job loss as a sign that a man of his temperament was better served by working as a consultant than working for the government. In a 2008 interview with a New Yorker titled The Dirty Trickster, Stone reminisced about his time with Creep and justified his actions by saying, The Democrats were weak, we were strong. He was, by the way, the youngest person caught up in the Watergate That's hearings. right. Yeah. yeah, 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 which is a... They had, weird, they had him flex. on one of the charts in the court that showed yeah. that he'd taken money. Yeah, yeah, that's how he starts his career. So, in the mid-1970s, after Nixon's impeachment, the Republican Party was most assuredly not strong. Uh, Stone seems to have elected not to waste his time on the doomed presidency of Gerald Ford, history's greatest monster. Instead, he worked to insinuate himself ever deeper into the right-wing organizations that clustered around the GOP. Paul Manafort, on the other hand, made the error of backing Gerald Ford in the 1976 elections. When Ford lost, it did serious damage to Manafort's reputation as a political strategist. Prior to Ford's loss, he'd been the clear prick for president of the Young Republicans. <laughs> you Ford. said clear prick. Oh, and well, I'm glad that you did. You know what? That works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, it, it's yeah, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about what happens uh, after Gerald Ford's fall from. Grace is the wrong word. I don't think he was ever quite there. But yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that. But first, are you a fan of uh, some products? Sure. A service or two? Sure. Well, that's what is happening now. Let's pay the bills. Ads time. <laughs> the evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. 
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com behind. That's mintmobile.com behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. We're back. We just uh, produced some products and serviced a few services. Uh, I'm feeling good. We're all ready to dive back in here. I love the economical energy. It's perfect. Oh, man. I'm, I, got, I got three things to say about economics. Okay. Let's get back to this podcast. <laughs> so with Gerald Ford's fall, Manafort was suddenly persona non grata uh, amongst the young Republican in- intelligentsia, whatever you want to call him, uh, showing either a surprising amount of loyalty to his friend or just confidence that Manafort would eventually wind up on top. Roger Stone worked with congressional aide Charlie Black on a scheme. Stone ran for president of the young Republicans winning and basically acting as a, uh, a stand-in for Paul Manafort to preserve his access to the halls of power. So you see Roger Stone basically agreeing to become a figurehead leader of this party so that Paul yeah. Manafort can continue to uh, have influence, which is, yeah. you don't run into a lot of things of Roger Stone doing something for someone else. So. It's so true. It's so interesting. In his career, there's been so many times where he's been fired but kept as an advisor. Yeah. So outside of all the trickster stuff, he really is a legit political strategist. Well, that is actually the question we're going to have to answer over the course of both parts of this podcast, is whether or not he's actually any good, because it's kind of a mystery. He certainly has managed to stay in contact to a lot of powerful people over the the years. The question of whether or not he actually did very much is really hard to answer, so we're going to dig into that here. Okay. So, 
Manafort, Black, and Stone all worked on Ronald Reagan's 1980 presidential campaign. Roger Stone managed the Northeast United States and earned acclaim for successfully turning much of that region against the Democratic Party during that election. He did so by appealing to groups who were committed Democratic voters, black and Hispanic people, Jewish people, and Catholics. Stone had stayed in touch with Richard Nixon because he just loved the guy so much, and he was successful at bringing the former president and definite criminal in as a strategist for the Reagan campaign. Nixon is purported to have put together the Ohio strategy, which is less impressive than it sounds. It boiled down to spending a shitload of money in Ohio for its 25 electoral votes. Stone would later make a big deal out of this, essentially as a way of reinforcing his reputation as a political kingmaker. But Ronald Reagan won 49 states in that election, so it's kind of doubtful that the Ohio strategy in specific did that much. He he didn't really need Ohio. It was kind of a blowout. Still, Roger Stone had performed well in a winning presidential campaign. He was offered a sweet gig in the Reagan administration, but turned it down, saying, quote, I would never take a job in government. I'm interested in politics. Wow. That's what pieces of shit say. Yeah. Yeah. In 1980, Roger Stone and his friends- He's also letting us know the game we think that they play is not the game that we recognize. No, it's not about- beliefs it's about winning and preserving access to power and money and stuff you know and i'm sure every one of them i'm sure roger has one or two things he believes in but to call him like ideologically a republican or anything else no yeah he believes roger stone should be influential yeah i mean he claims he's libertarian now he's been claiming that for a while in fairness and that is a vague enough ideology that i might say that's fair for roger stone you know it's it's open-ended enough that like yeah you you probably are roger yeah (laughs) probably also the one party that hasn't rejected him yeah that need him more than any other party probably no i mean they uh he and john mcafee could make a powerful uh presidential combo don't scare me (laughs) mcafee stone 2020 (laughs) i've pulled enough hair out of my head in the last two years combined 20 (laughs) indictments between us i don't need more nightmares (laughs) oh god it's it's crazy that that would almost be an upgrade you know you know what it would be it would be at least i'm pretty sure they can both spell we don't need to get political in this political podcast about <laughs> politics. <laughs> Remember, we're not interested in government. We're interested. Wait. Sure. You know, what Roger Stone said. In well, 1980. Sure. It's true. Trump yeah. doesn't govern. He's still campaigning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's never stopped campaigning. Yeah. Although, in a little bit of fairness, that's kind of how being president works now. Mm. Like, you're well, always running until I you, mean, he's you done it to a level campaign. I've never seen. You know? Yeah. But I feel like it just gets escalated every single election, like the fundraising that starts the year after the election and everything like that. You know, there's a lot to say about, you know, the compromises Obama made in the Affordable Care Act in order to not get a shitload of uh, uh, insurance industry money thrown against his campaign in 2012, which is like at least more principled than anything Trump's done. But like there's a lot of gross problems in politics. Yeah. Speaking of which – Roger Stone. It's a perfect segue. In 1980, Roger Stone and his friends formed Black Manafort and Stone, a lobbying organization Spy Magazine would later declare the Torturer's Lobby. Uh, You'll want to listen to our two-parter on Paul Manafort if you're interested in that story. Because while Paul instantly abandoned Beltway politics to work for dictators, Roger stayed burrowed deep within the warm, cash-rich bosom of the Republican Party. So... Stone makes money off of these. We talk a lot in the Manafort episode. There's guys like uh, the Marcos regime, Mobutu Sese Seku, 
yeah. uh, and Zaire, and uh, there was a bunch of different dictators that Paul Manafort worked directly with during this period of time. Yeah. Roger Stone is making profits off of that, and I, I'm sure he has some degree, because they're having meetings regularly and stuff, so I'm sure he has some input here. But it really is Manafort who's doing the direct work with these dictators, and Stone and Black are more involved in domestic politics in the United States. Yeah. But, yeah, so... He's profiting off of murderers, but yeah. he's not working with them to the same extent that Manafort is. For whatever it's worth, Manafort is an objectively worse person than yeah. Roger Stone. Now, Roger Stone became known during the 1980s as the gatekeeper to Richard Nixon, which is a debatable honor. Uh, he hosted a series of dinner parties and interviews with the now elder statesman right up until the president's death in 1994. In that New Yorker interview, Roger made what I think is an unintentionally hilarious statement. Quote, the reason I'm a Nixonite is because of his indestructibility and resilience. He never quit. His whole career was all built around his personal resentment of elitism. It was the poor me syndrome. John F. Kennedy's father bought him his house seat, his Senate seat, and the presidency. No one bought Nixon anything. Nixon resented that. He was very class conscious. He identified with the people who ate TV dinners, watched Lawrence Welk, and loved their country. I love this because literally the most famous thing Nixon did was quit being president. Exactly. <laughs> like, Nixon didn't quit. And also saying no one ever bought him anything when it was your job to buy people for Nixon exactly. during the reelection campaign. It's that was crazy. literally what you did, Roger. And isn't he like the creator of the super PACs? Like he's one of the original He's he's one he's one of the uh, of that and of lobbying. Like Black Manafort and Stone was the first really modern lobbying exactly. firm. It just made a cancer in our political system. Cuz in addition to helping dictators lobby the US government for foreign aid, they kind of invented the idea of working with both sides in an election. So, yeah. well, no matter who wins, we've got someone who we can exactly. then sell access to. Like, Unbelievable. Yeah, we go into a lot of detail about in the Manafort podcast. It's anti-American. Yeah, it's anti-everything but the couple of dozen people who make money off of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know why the Republican Party attacks so many people on who is and isn't made in America, but the Democratic Party doesn't enough attack people who isn't made of America. It's so un-American what he's doing. It's against mm -hmm. the policies of the people that founded this country. Well, I mean, the only correction I might say is that like, it's what you and I don't want to be American, but there's a lot of people who want it to be American, yeah. and that's like the great conflict of our time. Well, if all of us voted, I think they'd vote more like us. Yeah, if all the, of us the voted. Number, I think, the numbers are on, on our Democratic side. I would agree, but 2016 taught us the numbers yeah. ain't nearly everything they ought yeah. to be. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Roger Stone is probably one of those people who, like Mitch McConnell, does not want there to be a federal voting holiday. Yeah, yeah. amen. You're, he's <laughs> terrified of that. God, people uh, vote. Yeah, yeah. I also love uh, Roger Stone's embrace of like how down-to-earth Nixon is, considering that Roger Stone <laughs> is a man so infamous for his love of expensive clothing that he calls suspenders braces, mm. which, dude... <laughs> Dude. <laughs> well, but, you know, he swept chimneys when he was five. <laughs> Braces. Braces. As if he's British. Uh, it's like, yeah. I have a whole rant about waistcoats and vests, but that's not, <laughs> this is not the place for that. By 1985, Roger Stone's reputation as a serious political player seemed to be fairly solid. I found a new Republic article from December of that year that referred to him as the enfant terrible of Northeastern politics. Wow. Yeah. 
Uh, quote, Stone is widely credited with making the difference in Thomas Kane's narrow victory in the 1981 New Jersey governor's race. This was achieved by portraying the liberal Republican contender as a conservative supply cider. Stone convinced Keene to campaign on the promise of a tax cut. Once elected, Keene raised taxes. He also convinced prominent friends like Kemp to do television spots for Keene, assuring him victory in the Republican primary. I don't advocate candidates changing their positions, just trimming their sales, Stone says. I do have principles. Ugh. That's not what that sounds like, Roger. Now, Stone bragged that he had created a plan to basically build a permanent Republican majority in New Jersey back in 1985. You may note that that did not work out entirely. But as the New Republic article made clear, Stone's greatest and perhaps only real gift was in dropping negative dirt on his rivals to the press. Quote, He is an expert at dropping stuff unfavorable to his opponents, says a political writer who has used and been used by Stone for years. And he is very accurate. You don't last long at that game if you leak bullshit. So... This does seem to be one of the through lines of his career, yeah. that like outside of the dirty tricks and stuff, the thing he's really good at is figuring out dirt on people sure. and getting it to the right person. And you could, t- I mean, it's it's the intel inside of the Trump campaign. Yeah. He's a Pentium processor. All the stuff he says is the stuff Trump's repeats. The birther thing. Yeah. That was Roger Stone. Well, it was uh, Jerome Corsi, who was oh, a Roger was Stone contact. But and- didn't Roger Stone advise... Trump to use that language? It's possible. I mean, very, he definitely, we'll, we'll get into some more later about like what he did with Trump, but like one of the guys really responsible for kicking off the birther thing was Jerome Corsi, who was mm. probably Roger Stone's contact with WikiLeaks and who Roger Stone got oh, a job right. at InfoWars. And so it's very likely that they're, they're, that was one of the, anyway, yeah. but it's also possible. It all goes back to the same little jacuzzi. Yeah. Yeah. It's eight or nine. It's a small Ugh. apartment in New York's yeah, worth exactly. of guys. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. so bizarre. That are responsible for fucking this democracy so Unbelievable. badly. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's really remarkable. Roger was not particularly loyal to the people he worked with, which is perhaps not surprising given Black Manafort and Stone's reputation for working both sides of the political aisle. In 1984, he wound up working for Mary Mulcahy in a New Jersey senatorial race. One of his colleagues recalled, quote, Roger was characteristically bad-mouthing his client, saying she wasn't up to it. He was being paid to say she would do well, and already he was working to dissociate himself from her in Washington. Now, the article noted that Stone was also famous in the Beltway for bragging about the work he'd done for Richard Nixon's campaign. David Keene, a lawyer and lobbyist, said, quote, Roger likes the aura of having done something bad in his past. You get the feeling that he's sorry it was so minor. He likes to say, watch me, I'm a tough guy. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the truer things I've run into someone saying about Roger Stone. Yeah. In 1986, during another interview, Roger Stone listed Roy Cohn, Richard Nixon, and the Duke of Windsor as his biggest political idols. Now, Roy Cohn was a former McCarthy aide and famed political dirty trickster himself. The Duke of Windsor was a literal Nazi. (laughs) It was Roy Cohn who would later prove to be Roger Stone's liaison to infamy. In 1988, while working for President Reagan's re-election campaign, Roger was given Roy Cohn's contact information on a list of President Reagan's friends in the city. Since virtually all of Ronald's friends were dead, and since Roger was a big Cone fan, he reached out to the elder Creepsman for some advice. What Cone told him would set into motion a series of events that have irrevocably altered the course of all life on this planet. Roy Cohn told Roger, you should talk to this guy, Fred Trump, and his son Donald. Mm. Now, Trump had met Cone at a members-only Manhattan club called creatively Le Club back in 1973. <laughs> According to Washington Monthly, quote, he, Trump, asked Cone, The government has just filed suit against our company saying that we discriminated against blacks. What do you think I should do? Cohn advised him to tell them to go to hell and fight the thing in court and let them prove you discriminated. So, 
Donald had hired Cohn to represent him, and Cohn became something of a mentor to Trump as well. He taught the future president a number of things, including his lessons on legal conflict. Lessons like this. No matter what happens, no matter how deep in the muck you get, claim victory and never admit defeat. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Stone met with Donald and wound up getting $100,000 out of him for Ronald Reagan's re-election campaign. Christine Seymour, who worked for Cohn as a switchboard operator, wrote in her notebook at the time about how Stone referred to Donald Trump. Quote, Roger did not like Donald Trump or his new house, told me they were losers, but if Roy used them, he would too. So, this depiction of events put forward by Washington Monthly is not consistent with other descriptions of the beginning of the Trump-Stone relationship. This is one of the many things there's debate about. Uh, an NPR interview with Morgan Pame, uh, or Pame, one of the directors of the documentary Get Me Roger Stone, uh, put forward this version of events instead. Quote, Roger was the very first person to suggest to Donald Trump that he should run for the presidency back in 1987. Then he spent the next 29 years cultivating Trump's candidacy until he was ultimately triumphant. I think he believed from day one that Trump was a legitimate candidate. Now, certainly Trump's previous flirtations with running for the president, it's hard to look at as anything other than publicity stunts. But Roger was always dead serious about the effectiveness that Trump could convey as a candidate. Now, Stone himself put forward this version of events as recently as 2016 when he was interviewed on the floor of the Republican National Convention. Is it true what people say you convinced him to run for president? Yes. You convinced Donald Trump to run for president? I started in 1988. That is true. You were there? I've been trying to get him to run for a long time. Tried to get him to run in 88, tried to get him to run in 2000, tried to get him to run in 2012. He could have beaten Romney. Although Romney had a long head start. You pushed that for a long time. Now I'm happy with how... So now what? So, it's hard to say where the truth lies here. To my thoughts, I think the uh, Cone switchboard operator is probably closer to accurate. That uh, all this stuff about Roger Stone recognizing Donald was a perfect presidential candidate is a lie. Yeah. Uh, It was kind of like everything else in his career. He just sort of went with things as they rolled. and. Certainly in 1984 when he met Donald, I don't think he had much respect for the guy. And there's evidence that Trump didn't like him very much either until pretty recently. But we'll get into more of that later. Now, in 1996, the National Enquirer published an expose on Roger Stone. Stone had been posting ads in a number of swingers, magazines, and websites. <laughs> I heard about yeah, this. He and his wife. Howard Stern just talked about it. Yeah, great. yeah, yeah. He and his wife were looking for single men and couples to join them in group sex. Stone described himself as a bodybuilder. There's a lot... Of detail on Stone's love life that I'm not going to get into here because I, I don't really care. I don't think that's anybody's business. Like sure. the fact that they, they weren't like molesting kids or anything. They're just doing weird sex. That's fine. But the uproar over all this forced Roger Stone to retire from Bob Dole's presidential campaign. Roger initially denied the rumors, claiming first that they'd been placed to frame him and then that <laughs> some help at his house, like basically like a cleaning lady or something, had like leaked this stuff to the press to you know discredit him or whatever. But he later admitted that the ads were his and that he'd only denied them because his grandparents were still alive at the time. He cheerfully admitted from 1996 on to being a libertarian and a libertine. In an interview about all this, he also said some very strange things about famous homosexual and AIDS victim Roy Cohn. Quote, Roy was not gay. He was a man who liked having sex with men. Gays were weak, effeminate. He always seemed to have these young blonde boys around. It just wasn't discussed. He was interested in power and access. He told me his absolute goal was to die completely broken, owing millions to the IRS. He succeeded in that. Wow. I just want to note that Roger has reiterated several times that Roy Cohn is his idol and the person he aspires to be like. Do you think he's gay? I doubt that. Do you uh, think he's bisexual? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Uh... Maybe. He's dipping toes. It's such a bizarre 
I'm always fascinated by people who are hardcore Republicans, staunch Republicans, who don't live the life at all. But then you go, oh, okay, well, the, he's just doing whatever he needs to do to win. Yeah, I mean, you, it doesn't you, matter. You've got that staunch economic wing of the party, a lot of whom, you know, are super socially like whatever. Like yeah. you can meet them at like a kinky eyes wide shut fuck party and yeah. never know that they're like supply side economics guys. You know why it confused me? Yeah. Because I thought he might have empathy. No, no, That's no, what a no, no. normal human being has. And, and it would be hard with someone with empathy to to participate in a, in a gay lifestyle and then do things that hurt gay people. Well, I don't I don't know that Stone ever did, but that's certainly a good criticism of Roy Cohn because he was a big backer sure. of a, of the Reagans, which yeah. were the worst presidents in history for gay people, sure. you know, and uh Cohn died in the AIDS epidemic like yeah. yeah. But when we get back, we're going to talk about Donald Trump's first presidential campaign and how uh Roger Stone helped make that a reality. But first, the only reality listeners of this podcast need is the reality of the wonderful products and services that support this program and or content module. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. We're back. So, a little bit earlier, we were talking about sort of the competing theories about when Roger Stone wanted Donald Trump to run for election. And the guy who did the Get Me Roger Stone documentary was like, he saw him as a serious candidate from the beginning always yeah. even though the, the first campaigns weren't all that serious roger believed in him this story is why i think that's bullshit hmm. so in 1999 
Roger Stone got another chance to help a Republican presidential candidate and finally make use of his friend Donald Trump. That year, Pat Buchanan announced that he would be running for president under the Reform Party ticket. This worried Republicans because third-party candidates are always scary. We're dealing with that right now with Schultz and the, you know, the Democratic primaries and stuff. So Roger's strategy was to neutralize Pat Buchanan by using Donald Trump to run against him from the left. Roger had Trump embrace gun control and universal health care, as well as accuse Pat Buchanan of being a Hitler lover, which is you know, actually kind of fair. Trump dropped out soon after, but the campaign did its job. As the Weekly Standard's Matt Labosh wrote, a weakened Buchanan went on to help the Reform Party implode, and Republicans suffered no real third-party threat. So it does seem that in 1999, at least, Donald Trump was just a convenient tool for Roger Stone, not a serious presidential candidate. He represented a good way to deal with a third-party candidate who might have threatened George W. Bush's election. Roger Stone would go on to play another major role in the election of the man the world would come to know as W. Bush II Electric Boogaloo, and a literal <laughs> war criminal. Uh, Stone's first job for the Bush campaign was helping them win in Florida. He did this by buying advertising on a number of Spanish-language radio stations. He and his Cuban-American wife would show up and push a conspiracy theory. Quote from Roger. The idea we were putting out there was that this was a left-wing power grab by Gore, the same way Fidel Castro did it in Cuba. We were very explicitly drawing this analogy. <laughs> Al Gore to make it a violent power grab. <laughs> Al Gore the dictator. I have trouble imagining Al Gore like even shooting a three-pointer. Exactly. Like that's yeah. too aggressive for yeah. Al Gore. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I don't uh, even th- Al Gore is such a uh, like he's such a lover. I I feel like he's just made to hug like yeah. he was born without bones. He's a real hugger. Like There's no a, bones in that body. If a dog bit him, he wouldn't even pull his hand away. He would just, <laughs> he would just be like, ow. <laughs> he would just be like, ow, you stretched my leg. This is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Al Gore. If only you'd had any charisma at all. Oh, poor guy. Poor guy. Poor guy who would have really helped us avoid some problems. Yeah. Now, uh, during the infamous 2000 election recount, Roger Stone claims to have been the organizer of the infamous Brooks Brothers riot. This was essentially <laughs> a bunch of Republican operatives swarming South Florida and Miami to protest the ongoing recounts. It was called the Brooks Brothers riot because they all wore Brooks Brothers suits. Sure. Here's that New Yorker article. Quote, at one point on November 22nd, Stone said he heard from an ally in the building that Gore supporters were trying to remove some ballots from the counting room. One of my pimply-faced contacts said, two commissioners have taken two or three hundred ballots to the elevator, Stone said. I said, okay, follow them. Half you guys go on the elevator and half go in the stairs. Everyone got sucked up in this. They were trying to keep the doors from being closed. Yeah. Meanwhile, they were trying to take the rest of the ballots into a back room with no windows. I told our guys to stop them. Don't let them close that door. They're trying to keep the door from being closed. There was a lot of screaming and yelling. In fact, the New Yorker notes, the Gore official in the elevator, Joe Geller, was carrying a single sample ballot. Now, the dual scenes of chaos, both inside and outside the building, prompted the recount officials to stop their work. The recount in Miami was never restarted, depriving Gore of his best chance to catch up and overall state tally. So the Brooks Brothers riot is pretty consistently across the board considered an important fact in Bush's winning Absolutely. of that election. Absolutely. You know, Gore, didn't they eventually get to the numbers like months after where people proved that Gore won the popular vote? Never entirely, but it's mm. pretty like, yeah, basically. In essence. Now, Brad Blakeman, a lobbyist and political consultant for the Bush campaign, claims that Roger Stone is lying about his involvement in this. You know, obviously the Brooks Mm -hmm. Brothers riot happened, but Blakeman says Roger's just taking credit Credit. for something he didn't do. Because Uh, you'd think he'd be sued for that. Like, you know, that's not technically illegal. It should be. Uh, That's his whole career. Is is that not illegal? 
Yeah. The yeah. Roger Stone story. You interfered with the democratic process? You interfered with the voting process? I have some issues with the Dick Get Me Roger Stone documentary, and I do think a better title would have been, is that not illegal? <laughs> is that really? <laughs> that's what my that's Stop what the my government for a second. Every time. <laughs> like, <laughs> how does he know the law better than... And I don't think he does. Hmm. I think he's gotten lucky enough in the past that, you know, his, I don't know, maybe he was illegal what he was doing, but like nobody charged him with it. And like, I think he's, he, it's called the first mover advantage in essence. Like if you're willing to take that, you got like two animals and there's like a food resource in between them. Yeah. The animal that's most likely to go for it. You know, sometimes he might get challenged by the other animal and he might get beaten up. But it's more likely that that other animal will back off and not want to have a fight. And so yeah. it's good to just, try and lunge for the food, which Roger Stone always does. Yeah. Okay, so Brad Blakeman says, uh, claims he was the guy in charge of the Brooks Brothers riot and says, quote, Roger did not have a role that I know of. His wife may have been on the radio, but I never saw or heard of him. Which, again, reinforces one of the most common patterns when you talk about the life of Roger Stone. It's really hard to tell if he's a legitimately influential operator or just a prolific liar. I doubt most of the people who have hired him can truly tell you. Yeah. Uh, Ed Rollins, former political director for Ronald Reagan, told The New Yorker in 2008, Roger was a fringe player around town. He always had this reputation of being a guy who exaggerated things, who pretended he did things. Roger was never on Nixon's staff, was never on the White House staff. I don't think you'll find anyone in the business who trusts him. Roger was always a little rat. In a 2008 interview, Donald Trump echoed that sentiment. Roger is a stone-cold loser. He always tries taking credit for things he never did. <laughs> Everyone who writes or talks about Roger Stone winds up dealing with this issue eventually. No one can seem to agree on whether or not he's any good at his job. Even people who talk about him being good at his job at one point will talk about him being a liar and a fraud yeah. at other points. I found one Washington Post article that noted, quote, in a Post profile, one Republican luminary called him the party's single best consultant, and another dismissed him as one of the great all-time frauds of American politics. Well, sure. I mean, it's hard to praise someone who hurt you, and it might be that, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, I think there's- I mean, part of it, too. There's, there's a lot going on with all these guys. I mean, there's so many times mm -hmm. where something has happened in American politics, in American history, where I'm like, that's crazy, Yeah. it's fraudulent, it's wrong, it's corrupt- and there he is. Yeah. He's and, always there. And it's it's a lot harder. With like with Paul Manafort, you've got a bunch of cases where like uh there's this this war going on, uh I forget the name of the dictator, but there's this war going on in like Central Africa and like the USSR is backing one side and the US is backing another side, and then the USSR pulls their military aid and everyone's like, Okay, the civil war is gonna end and these guys Jonas Savimbi is the guy who was backing mm. and these guys are gonna stop and then Manafort goes directly to the federal government and lobbies and gets Savimbi to continue having weapons for another ten years and half a million more people die. Oh, like, okay. God. That's a direct thing Paul Manafort did. Yeah. Undeniably extended the length of that war by his lobbying. It's never that clear with Roger Stone. There's always yeah. multiple people. So that's part of the thing that's difficult is like Roger Stone, because of just the kind of dirty tricks he gets up to, is a lot slipperier. Yeah. Um, or at least he was until recently. So that is where we're going to leave off for today. When I come back, we will be talking about some things that are inarguable about Roger Stone, mm. finally. His foundational role in the Trump campaign and all of his many, many, many dumb crimes. So... Thursday, the day after tomorrow. No, Sophie, we don't edit this podcast. What is time? You can't edit audio. That's the most basic rule of this. Oh, Why are you doing the lip thing? Read the frowny face. Now she, oh. <laughs> All right, listeners, uh, I am the bastard this week because I made Sophie sad. So uh, buy a T-shirt on Public. It's the only thing that brings her joy is our T-shirt sales. T-Public. T-Public. Do you know how a T-Public sound, sound bite that goes with T-Public? 
that's our sound bite now. There you go. You could you feel free. Yeah. Anytime. Just me going T-Public. T-Public. <laughs> Tamir, you want to plug your pluggables before sure. we cack we out for the next couple of minutes? Sure. Uh, if you guys are looking for live comedy and you want to see an Arab American who grew up in East L.A. throwing his thoughts out, uh, you can follow me at TamarKatan.com for all my shows, at TamarCat on Instagram. And then, um, of course, I'm the creator and uh, host and, of my podcast called They Tried to Bury Us Along with My Mom, where we meet a new immigrant every week and hear their American origin story. Check out They Try to Bury Us. Uh, check out Tamar on Twitter. You can find this podcast on the internet and all of its sources on BehindTheBastards.com. You can find us on Twitter and the gram, as the kids call it these days, <laughs> uh, at @bastardspod. Uh, I have a book called A Brief History of Ice where I hurt my friends with dangerous drugs uh until thursday roger stone (laughs) trinity school of natural health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education that empowers communities trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. King's Island is now open on weekends.